Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, Ned. Hey, David. Uh, actually, you guys are kind of joined at the hip now, aren't you? So I'm going to start calling you Nedvid uh, in true Brangelina fashion. Hey, Nedvid. How you doing? Perry here. Perry Apgwineth. Perry Apgwineth. Um... Your composer, your work experience composer. Uh, I'm here in Paris. Uh, I'm working for S4C, Channel Pedro Cymru, the Welsh um, TV channel. We're in uh, France for the final week of the Tour de France. Um, just arrived in Paris about an hour ago and about to leave our hotel to go to the Champs Elysees to broadcast from there this afternoon. Uh, but we were in Le Bourne. Uh, a couple of days ago, it was a bit of a funny story. Um, I was at, at the finishing line doing a piece to camera when uh, I heard a voice behind me saying, um, Perry, Perry, I love your music. And I was like, oh, cheers, mate. Thank you. So um, and once I'd finished the piece to camera, um, I went out a chat to him. And his name's is Graham, really nice chap. He'd been living in uh, France for a couple of years. But um, some, some of you listeners might know that I'm in a band called Pendulum and we've kind of been successful so I, I, I was totally assumed he meant the pendulum stuff <laughs> that's why he, that's the music that he loves but oh no he loved the music because uh, that I write for your podcasts so I'm kind of famous for writing your podcast music Very soon, David, the cricketers will emerge from the pavilion uh, for the afternoon session. Lunch has been taken. Uh, it looks as though the bowling will continue from the white horse end. Um, right arm over the wickets. Um, and uh, could be an interesting session's play. It could be if I could see it through the trees. I can't see much from where I am, Ned. This is a poor commentary position. Yeah, you've got two, well, looks to me like silver birch trees and one sycamore tree obscuring your view almost entirely. Whereas I, on the other hand, can just about see over the roof of an Audi A3 to where Bearstead Cricket Club and their local rivals... Make, make one up. Um, Collingbourne, that sounds really nice. Collingbourne um, are just coming out to play now. It's a, it's a tight contest. The wickets have been... Uh, Hard to come by uh, because Hollingbourne are digging in and their opening batsmen here are delivering a masterclass in patient village cricket. It's quite hard to tell the teams apart. Yeah, they're, they're all wearing white and indeed they all appear to be white. <laughs> <laughs> and male. <laughs> yeah. In this Kentish village. Oh, dear. I don't think we're made for test match no. commentary, David. Well, I, we could give it a go. I'd need to do a very fast track learning about critic, cricket. Critic. Critic. 
Freudian slip. Yeah. But so, people often say <clears throat> that um, Tour de France commentary is the closest thing to Test Match, and we often well, get compared with Test Match special. You know what? That's really because the other day we had that, that box of um, cakes delivered. We and, did. And it said a gift from TMS. And I was like, are you serious? Test Match special? Of- yeah. Looped it. I thought exactly the same Did thing. Did you? Thank yeah. goodness. I thought it was just me. So Jonathan Agnew and Johnners and well, Duffers an and Bodders or whatever. Yeah. Thought they were going to. Yeah. Because they, they actually, involve cake in their commentary and stuff, don't they? Very much so. Yeah. Um, but actually, it was from the Maidstone Studios, Which wasn't was it? Quite just, underwhelming. Yeah. Thank yeah. you for this kind of vast contract that they've been handed. Yeah. They, they gave us a dozen cupcakes. So, yeah. So, anyway, Bearstead, we are halfway between Maid- the Maidstone Studios and our hotel. Yeah, and this is our. We stopped off on our way uh, in to commentate on the Champs Elysees stage. Champs Elysees. Um, a bit of poetry just to bring us up to speed yeah, with all the it. racing that we've missed. Um, it's haiku time once again, ladies and gentlemen, and we've gone back to our usual correspondent Jim Bridgman, but also he's been joined um, stage by stage by a completely independent haiku artist, Katie Madgwick, has sent us in her haikus too. So the voices you're about to hear come from first Katie and then Jim. Stage 16. Lonely Austrian loves riding his bike in the rain. Seeks finish line. Combative Conrad holds off Chaser's charge. Is Green still up for grabs now? Stage 17. Two young assassins thwart Bastille breakaway hopes. Call Carapaz Bluff. Allies on the climbs. Pog enjoys Bastille freedom. Carapaz bluffs fail. Stage 18. Deja vu with added mass. Stay Stage on the today, paramount. No Pyrrhic victory. Pure panache in Pyrenees. Pog pips poles for polka. Stage 19. New patron rising. Slovenian dominance. Silence the doubters. Amidst game playing, Mohoric turns on turbo. Have has to wait. Stage 20. Three Asgreen aspires. Two Danes deliver second spot. Wout van Aert, one. Pog cruises to Paris. No repeat of TT feet. Van Aert's vintage ride. Yes, Wout van Aert. Uh, winning the time trial and um, with his fantastic hair. He does have fantastic hair, doesn't he's he? Cool, right? Yeah. 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 He's, he's he's a good-looking man. He's yeah. there's something quite. Um, uh, who was that famous Rud- Valentina Rudolph? The 1920s. I won't say Valentina. Rudolph Valentino. That was it, wasn't it? Or was he a ballet dancer? I know that was Rudolph Nureyev, wasn't it? The ballet yeah, dancer. Yeah, I think it was Rudolph Valentino. Yeah, but was he a good-looking man? He was a very good-looking man. Had that kind of yeah. Hispanic air to him. And yeah. dashing. Yeah. That's what Wout van Aert's like. He's a legend. And uh, you know how we occasionally kind of um, purloin contents that we stumble across on the internet? And maybe occasionally possibly infringe sort of copyright copyright licensing things from mm. time to time possibly well not infringe so much as stretch the elastic yes, legal sense just, um, um, Transpires we're not the only people to do that though, oh really that's good to know some Belgian dudes crazy Belgian guys have um, actually I think quite a while ago they <gasps> released a I remember this a Wat Van Aert song yeah um, and they 
they took your voice. And and without consulting me, I mean, this is in the hands of my lawyers at the moment. Mm. Um, without consulting me, they have um, basically stolen my intellectual property mm. um, in order to monetize it for their own ends. Um, it's a grave, it's a grave infringement. I take it very seriously. Um, well, but, I'm, I'm glad you've, you've got your team on it. I've got my team on it, but since um, since they've done that to me, I'm going to do it to them and put their song in, license free, right here. Anyway, I quite like that. It's a good song. It's a good song. Um, right. Pete's off now. So, yeah, Pete, well, yeah, that's Pete Kenyuk. He's got Pete the Kenyuk. noisiest bottom bracket. It's a cassette, freewheel. I don't understand bikes. No, you don't. What you can hear on the track in the background. Oh, uh, yeah. The track we'll hear later. Um, yeah. Yeah, I'm off to get some nachos. Okay. Pete's going to get some nachos. And the race starts in a couple of hours, doesn't it? The Champs-Élysées stage. Is he going to win? Is, is Cavendish coming home, Pete? Is he coming home? Cavendish? Yeah. Cav, is Cav coming home? I hope so. The Isle of Man have gone big. They've got um, Phil Marina... Phil Marina Gardens, big screen set up. There's uh, a ride arriving there with all the local kids on bikes with yeah, the police amazing. escort. So it's such a sm- small community over there. Everyone just loves to get behind. Well, I mean, it's it's massive anyway, isn't it, what he's doing? Mm. But, you yeah. know, when you come from a place like the Isle of Man and with what he's done in his career, it's, it's going to be huge there, yeah. So mm. hopefully we'll see some snippets of, of the local fans cheering them on. That'd be good. That'd be really good. Yeah. All right, catch later, see, see you. We're going to hear from Pete a bit later, aren't we? We are, pod? yes, yes, yes. Yeah, an unknown facet of the Kenyan character. The I know, a hidden treasure. We didn't realise, did we? No, I had no idea he was so into Well, don't, 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 oh, oh, you've spoiled well, it, never mind. Okay, anyway. We'll yeah, mu- pro- he's very musical, and it's none really of us cool. realised that. No. Um, so that comes a bit later in this um, quite packed podcast, actually, full of pre-recorded content. It is very packed, this podcast. Yeah, we've got a bit of dream analysis still to come. We have... Dara O'Brien, yeah, as well, um, an extended chat with him, and also um, this contribution came from Steve Eagles, who um, just messaged me overnight with this um, rather, rather wonderful rendition of an extract uh, from Beowulf. Do, do, do you know what Beowulf is? You... Yeah, isn't it? It's a, the Danish or Scandi. Um, it's like a myth, but it was you were just mentioning before reminded me it was the first ever. Oldest bit of Anglo-Saxon English language. I think it's kind of almost, it's recognised as being almost the oldest, well, certainly epic poem in the English language. And one of the most, one of the oldest bits of kind of written English, old English. Um, And you're right, it's a Scandinavian myth of Beowulf, a Germanic heroic legend. And um, although it's not entirely clear, and it's a matter of some contention exactly when it dates from, the consensus is it dates right back to um, between 975 AD and 1025. So it's very, very old. Medieval. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Beowulf is this, uh, this, this great warrior hero, mm. king. Yeah? 
And I think Steve Eagles has picked out a really good little section here. It's only short. Um, but um, it kind of references uh, the heroic deeds of, of a certain Manxman. And um, obviously the Beowulf pack. Very good. The Lord endowed him, the wielder of wonder, with world's renown. Famed was this Beowulf, far flew the boast of him, son of man in the Manxian lands. So it becomes a youth to quit him well with his father's friends by fee and gift, that to aid him aged in after days, come warriors willing should war draw nigh, liegemen loyal. By lordy deed shall an earl have honour in every clan. Well, as, as it is apparent now, we're kind of pre-recording this. So we don't know, as we say, you know, because you're listening to it after the event. Mm-hmm. But we now don't know whether Cavendish has uh, surpassed the Merck's record or not. But um, what we do know, that David, is that... They've changed the finish line on the shops. Yeah, that was news to me when I turned up here to sit next to you on this green to record this podcast. You told me that the finish line has been moved further up the shops by what six hundred meters, two hundred meters. Well, it's, I think a further three hundred plus 300 meters. Plus. That's a big so difference. It's kind of doubling the distance from the Place de la Concorde mm. to the finish line, um, where it's always been forever and a day. I mean, I've, yeah. ever since I've been doing it, it's been there. That completely changes it because normally going into that corner is the that's the winning move that that final little corner. Yeah, so. But I'm sure Mark will be able to adapt. Yeah, or not. Or not. Maybe he won't. Because we don't know where the future is. We can't predict it. It's difficult to predict the future. Yeah. But what we can do is kind of analyse a bit of the past, can't we? Mm-hmm. I think probably and say, now that the dust has settled on your, as a broadcaster, your, well, if you don't count 14 and 15, if you start at, no, you should count 14 and 15. So you've been broadcasting as part of the ITV team now for 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, oh 20, 21, God. eight years. Oh, wow. That's a long time. It's quite a long time. Nearly a decade. Yeah. Oof. Didn't see that coming. In your eight years of broadcasting the race, how do you rank rank this one? Uh, Right up there. But I think it's the first we've been talking for quite a while now about the sport changing. And we're seeing this this new, new era beginning. And yet it's always been bridged by the old era. And this feels like it's the first time we really do have a new generation, a new style of racing. And if you look back on it now already, it's quite strange. I think almost every single breakaway was won by a lone rider, which is already weird. You've got Tari Pogaccia, who's just... Well, is that true? Yeah. Every stage that ended in the break, it was a lone... It was a yeah. solo victory. That's amazing. There wasn't a... There wasn't a group that came to the there line was never a sprint, all, was, was there? there? No. Which is a bonkers... That's really weird. Yeah. It's really weird. I wonder whether that's just a statistical weirdness or whether there's actually something in it. Well, I think, yeah. I th- it's strange because in the peloton, there's obviously Teddy Pogaccia and Vingegaard have, have appear to be head and shoulders above everybody else. Although, uh, in fairness, Teddy Pogaccia hasn't been able to make the same gaps that he could do in the first week. And I think he's paid the price for those huge moves, but tactically they were brilliant. Yep. And it's g- given him the buffer. Vingegaard's just kind of raises level. Carapaz great. But then there's the rest. Those three are really head and shoulders above everybody. And then I, the, when you get to breakaways, it just seems everyone's so matched. Yeah. Uh, but there's always one rider that just calls a bluff 
but it's a strong one to move like 20, 30 k from the finish. And I, I guess that's what's weird at the moment. That it's never been a level, leveler playing field, yet at the same time, you've got the outliers now. It's, ah. it's quite hard to explain. It's, um, can, I, can, I, can I float a theory? Go for it. I don't think it's the only factor, but it's a, maybe a slight contributing factor. Almost every single day in France, it's been windy. Mm, yeah, true. Is that a thing? Do you think? Has that enabled certainly? I guess it's, so, it's it enabled flies, Mohoric to yeah, get away. It enabled um, Pollitt. Pollitt. Yeah. Um, so there's a two. There's a two or three. But it has been incredibly windy on almost every single stage. Yeah, it has this kind of almost without, cross, without crosswinds blowing the race apart. It's been mm. just windy. But I don't know whether that's know. yeah. It's not the only reason, is it? Can't but it's yeah. And I think what's also, I mean, yesterday you were telling me Philippe Gilbert's his final Tour de France. Some Greipel's retiring. And there's just this wave of older riders finally pulling the plug. Uh, and the old guard, and you're talking, so you're talking about sort of bridging, you know, mm. they're kind of like inter, interlacing the new and the young and, mm. and you know, sort of both generations making an impact on the race. I would go further to suggest, with the, with the absolute shining exception of Mark Cavendish, take him out because he's a, just a, yeah. he's a one-off. Take that performance out. None of the old guard, none of the old guard have had an impact on the race. Zero. N- name, name one. <sighs> Like, Can't. like you say, De Gent couldn't get away. No, Gilbert was just know, winding it down. Kwiatkowski, Geraint, Chris Froome. Chris Froome obviously has exceptional circumstances, but yeah, but there was none of that. There were no glimmers of brilliance from that kind of old guy. Greg Van Avermaet. Greg Van Avermaet, kind of there, not there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, it's been um, it's, it's, happened, really, it's happened like that, and it has now happened, and it's kind of moved on now. The, the new kids are in class. Yeah. They run the they run the they rule yeah. the roost. But that's also the thing he really does run the roost. Tali Pogacha. it's yeah. like he's with that yellow jersey. We, we discussed this a bit yesterday, I think, in commentary or perhaps afterwards, in, when we were just chatting. Is that you kind of forget that last year he he won it on the, the penultimate day. Excellent forward defensive stroke. There. Sorry, I missed that. very very solid. But yeah, Karen. Um And it's almost as if he he came into the race wanting to wear yellow and kind of as soon as possible. Because he was so, remember how disappointed he was after the first time trial. Yeah, it was kind of weird actually. Yeah, because he just crushed the time trial, but he wanted yellow because he didn't get to race in it last year. And I think he wants to stamp his authority on the race, and he's done it not not just by wearing yellow, but being authoritative and being almost um, well patron like. And he's he's it's almost with that that's been the kind of the final nail in the coffin of of removing the old guard mm. and that and that he's changed the hierarchy mm. Mm. it's now and we've seen him do it throughout the race mm. in different ways which has been interesting because it's there are not many yellow jersey or, or grand tour riders who who take on that responsibility and he's 22 and he's doing it and it's almost like he's just saying guys it is a new era now yeah get out of your way everything yeah. you've done in the past doesn't matter anymore it doesn't matter <laughs> yeah yeah. Do you know what I find quite strange as well this is um now th- so this this complete changing of the generations means that and especially and COVID as well, and being distant from the races, I'm now I'm now commentating on riders I've never met. Yeah, that's true. I've never that's met, true. and I used to I used to have some sort of a you know fleeting mm. relationship with all the mm. main riders at the Tour de France because I was in their face every day. You know, yeah. there was I was a recognisable figure, and they were they were the superstars. I kind of so I had a sense of who they were as people. Mm. Now that's not to say that I don't study the current generation in infinite detail as much as I possibly can, but I'm doing it. As as we all are through the filter of the TV lens, and I don't I don't actually know them any hmm. longer. It's quite that's quite strange. I'm finding, so um, yeah, yeah. So we moved on. Um, 
Should we hear from one of the old guard in terms of uh, a viewer, Dara O'Brien? Oh, let's do it. So, so the context of this is I knew that Dara O'Brien was a cycling fan 10 years ago because, as I think I mentioned, or maybe I didn't, because as I say, we've, it feels like we've broadcast every second of our lives over the last three weeks, like but actually maybe this was an unguarded moment that I actually just, it was a conversation between us without a microphone. I don't know. But when I, when I wrote to Howe on the Yellow Jumper, oh, by the way, you know, I encourage people to email H-I-W-T-Y-J at gmail.com to leave audio feedback for the podcast. Yeah. I got the most random audio message from, um, Pavel. Let's get his name right. Put my specs on. <laughs> Drop my specs. <laughs> Put them on again. Pavel, let's just, I think it's pronounced, uh, Pavel Stasic uh, sent me a message saying, um, saying this. Kako sam žuti and I sent him a message back saying, um, thank you very much, Pavel. I don't understand. I, I don't, I'm afraid I don't understand it. And he said, it's how I won the yellow jumper in Serbian. Oh, that's brilliant. I don't know why he sent me it, but there you go. It's, just, <laughs> it's really good. So that is Serbian for how I won the yellow jump. <laughs> um, anyway, I was just about to introduce. Uh, yeah, so 10 years ago when I wrote this. One of the first people to leave me nice feedback on Twitter was um, Dara O'Brien. Hmm. Out of the blue. Uh, I had no, we certainly, none of us knew that he was a cycling fan, so he didn't get sent a review copy. Mm. He has subsequently for every single book I've ever, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ever written, um, and I doubt he's read any of them. But he, uh, he picked it off the shelf and read it and said nice things about how I won the Yellow Jumper. So that was my connection. I vaguely knew Dara was into cycling, and then confirmation of it came a couple of weeks ago, and he was part of a thread I was involved in. And then you, dear Never Strays France listeners, um, got on the case. There was a brief hashtag trending, wasn't there? Get, hashtag Get Dara. Yes. Within 24 hours, we got Dara. We got Dara. Dara, uh, you're a gentleman for a start. Answer. No, look, listen, uh, you, you've been my constant companion um, for the last three weeks. The, uh, God, I'm sorry about that. You, look, there's, there's, there's the thing. I, I've, I'm laid up out in the operation for uh, reasons of past understanding and a rebuild of my leg. Uh, and the timing of it in some ways is immaculate because it, it, it coincides exactly with the start of the Tour de France, Wimbledon and the Euros. Uh, and and they've slowly disappeared from my life. And now it's just you guys. And in a week, oh, no. <laughs> in a week, that's a story. watching that's Breaking a story Bad again life. or something. I don't know. It's like the, yeah. the so hopefully I'll be off. I'll be off two crutches under one crutch at that stage. So maybe I can hobble around instead. That's like, the, that's like what's happened to you is the equivalent of kind of like being one of the worst climbers in the in the in the in the final group and you've just dropped back and back and back and now you're just stuck with us it, it totally, you're just stuck absolutely. with us yeah, that's yeah, all yeah, that's yeah. all that's left <laughs> the, yeah yeah it is yeah, the, yeah. i was thinking about that actually sorry the that just that because there are many beautiful things about the last few days the uh um just to stick to science for a second the um there is i think nothing in, in sport as poetically beautiful as some of them being dropped on the mountain <laughs> stage. I mean, there's something just exquisite about the fact that you, in your head, you know, this person cycling faster than most human beings could ever cycle. And they look like they're going backwards at the same time because of the relative motion. And you also know, as you said, you said it like, he's gone. You're saying that a number of times. There is something beautiful about being able to say that. You can't say that in a lot of sports. You can't go, bang, that's over. He's gone. They, uh, and that's, yeah, that's so true. I think it's it's because yet yeah, when you're in the moment, there's this this thing when you're in the peloton 
they say if you want to stay at the front, you have to always be moving forward. Yeah. Because the idea when you see the peloton and you look from it above, it looks like everyone's just always in the same position. But actually, to, to be able to stay at the front, you have to always be moving forward. And the moments, it's like browning motion. Yes. If you take a few moments out, you just find yourself putting down this funnel and out. And that gets much more extreme in the mountains because you just watch the race disappearing from you. You can't change your effort. Then all of a sudden, it's very one of the very few sports where it's visible you're losing in real yes, time. Yes, hugely. I, and, um, but, the, but when you're doing it, right, and I defer entirely to you in this, <laughs> with respect that the, uh, when you're doing this, do you feel yourself, is it like I'm, I'm getting slower now? Do you feel yourself getting slower or do you just go, no, I, I seem to be slowing. I don't seem to be doing any less here, but they seem to be. There's a, yeah, there's, um, that's an interesting question actually, because even in the post race today with Pogaccia, he said in the tourmalet, um, he couldn't think of anything else apart from the effort he was doing. So, so we all look at the race and we think, oh, he's comfortable, he's easy, looks relaxed. But actually, even he, the, the strongest rider in the race, got to a point where he was zoning out and was only thinking about the wheel in front of him. And, and that's the thing with the Tour de France. When you're doing an ultra-endurance event, which essentially it is, yeah. at very high speed, even the best in the world, and that's why the, they're the best in the world, they endure those patches. So you'll have patches where you think, there's no way I can make it to the finish. Or these guys are going too hard and I can't keep up. But the, the best in the world, the strongest, the ones who do it year in, year out in the biggest races know that it won't last forever. Yeah. And they've got the fitness and the training. So you'll have moments where it's like, oh, this is, it's going to be 10 or sometimes 40 minutes of hell, but then I'll get a break. And, and then off you because we, you're watching um uh, pe- people take off say the, the the penultimate mountain will, will take off and you'll say look he's having a good day today the uh, can they accurately back themselves to go right i know i can get over this one and down and over the next one that i have enough energy in the tank how well can you estimate your own tank in that situation yeah i guess not right it's really <laughs> difficult and that's what makes <laughs> it's what makes it the the guys who are really good they're they're good at fueling. They're good at so just as I was explaining before, where it's getting really hard, and you think I'm I, I'm at my limit now. I'm my tunnel's shrunk down. Yeah, I'm only looking at the wheel now. They still remember to fuel. They don't panic. They're doing everything right, and so the the best guys, even though they they question their ability to do mountain after mountain, they're being hyper rational through that emotional experience, and they're fueling, and they're preparing. And they're, they're, they've got a positive internal monologue that tells them they can do it. And so it's, it's actually, it's, it's really interesting because I've never really thought about it like that. They're, they're, they're an elite few who manage to say, stay hyper rational when everything tells them to go fight or flight. Yes. And they're the best guys and, and women as well in the same, in, in same in women's cycling as well. The, they, we, we used to say they, they're able to suffer longer. I don't think it's got anything to do with suffering. It's just they're able to to be rational when it gets really hard. Yeah, I mean, because it's it's a sport that offers you a lot of time to think. I'd imagine that in a way that if you're playing football or basketball or something like that, you're reacting to situations all the time, and you mm. probably don't as much go, "Oh God, we're really under the cosh here." This is, or ideally, mm. you're not thinking about things as much. Uh, yeah. Uh, whereas. In sport, tennis is another one that you are very much have time to dwell on what exactly this point means, what this moment means. The, uh, that, and yeah. I would have thought that's the toughest thing to shut that voice out in your head telling you to. Yeah, it's true. It's the, the internal monologue is the, um, it's your nemesis mm. or it's your, it's your gift. Yeah. 
It's how you're able to to control that internal monologue. Because it's sometimes in one of my first pro races in Italy, like 1997, that's how old I am, uh, I was in this long line out. Just, it was all strung at the peloton. And I'd been, and it'd been going on for 30 minutes. And I was so flat out. And I thought I was the only person because I was just looking at the wheel in front of me. Then four riders up, somebody just pulled off and it was a guy called Robin McEwen. And he just pulled off and he said, fuck this. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> so it was, but that's bike racing. And that's why one of the things with Ned has been really interesting for me. And even having this conversation now, I've got to see it through Ned's eyes as well. Yeah. Because we're stuck in our tight little bubbles and, yeah. it, and we're not a very social sport. You end the race and you fly back to yes, your home. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. No, one dis- no one discusses it. So with Ned, Ned's always been asking me questions and forcing me to kind of look at yeah. it all. And also very few sports where your interaction with the fans is them standing in front of you, waving a f- flag or, wildly. Or a sausage. Or a sausage. Out of the way. A sausage from yeah. a barbecue. Dara, have you ever heard David talk about barbecue envy or sausage envy? From the side of this, no, as well, because you can smell the barbecues yeah. on the way up. Yeah. No. <laughs> I used to have in the third week in the, the old days when the the third week of the Tour de France wouldn't be mountain ranges and and exhibition racing and making it as difficult as possible. We used to go through ride back up through France, back up to Paris. So we'd have two hundred plus two hundred fifty k stages to get back to Paris, and there were super dull stages. And by that point, your internal monologues yeah. are pretty intense <laughs> and you just see all these families having picnics in fields and all you could think of all i want to do now is have a picnic yeah. in a field and i and i always promised myself that one day with my children and my family at the tour de france will go and have a picnic in a field and watch it go by so i can relive that yeah. that idea that i had that was what got me through it imagining that it's possible not to be in this bike race and sit in the field and have a picnic. Hey, Dara, we've been down here. So you've, you've, had your, you've injured your leg. I might have to ask you how you did, because you told me just before we started recording, it's quite amusing. <laughs> I mean, it sounds, sounds incredibly painful and very serious, but also there's a hint of... Yeah, do you know what? There's, a bait, there's an element of bathos to it. Look, it's, sorry, I, I, have, I, have an, I have an old knee injury, yeah. the, uh, going back from when I was a teenager. A bit of bone in my... Uh, thigh bone never got the blood it needed, and so it dried up. I think I'll ask who can I suggest it can't. It's literally the bit of bone in, in question is oh no you're not going to show uh, it to us are you oh I, well i can rattle it around uh, but like the uh it's, it's a in a jar they wow. in the sense that they, they give you the stuff back if they can they yeah uh, so this came out years ago and I, I check it every 10 years or so and to see how it's looking but there's it means there's a hole in my um femur uh, and so you see that area of, of my knees get really inflamed and then just to it would every so often have a bad injury and last year i was on a um inflatable Assault course uh, on one of these artificial lakes off the uh, off the M4 uh, and uh, bounced off of, off a thing that I shouldn't have bounced off. My all my my weight went through it, so that's the gist. Of it. But to repair it, and this is the line I even have on stage. The guy said, "Yeah, you have a hole in your in your in your uh, thigh bone." And I said, "What we're we going to do?" He said, "Well, we're going to break your calf bone." Yeah. Uh, and the line I was what as a warning, like as a, <laughs> like, you know, what's the, what's the exactly the, the medical rationale? It's a nice knee you've got here. It'd be same if somebody were to come along and smash it up for you. Um, so yeah, so I've, so th- yeah. And so, so basically I had a knee operation, which they stretched my, cut into the fibula, um, tibia, excuse me, and then bent it out 10 degrees. Do you know what? So the lower part of my leg is 10 degrees, oh, I think off where it was. Wow. 
um, less bow, less bowed or whatever than it was. So, uh, yeah. And he could see it. The, the doctor went, Oh, I can totally see the difference. And I, who've been living with these legs for 49 years now went, I can see no difference at all. <laughs> all I can see is the massive scar you've left me with, uh, along my knee. So, uh, so, but I, yeah, I, so I've been, um, later basically I've been elevated. Uh, watching that, but don't even like I would watch. Yeah, I would. I would absolutely watch an entire stage. Well, of the tour that's of the what best I was going to ask you because you know I know you're a football fan as well. Uh, you follow all the sports really, and and you know having a dodgy leg is probably as you said a, a really good excuse to follow them. So we're down, as I said, in Maidstone Studios, and right next door to us, Dara, the ITV football team have been have had their massive set. Right. Oh, and they've right. just started dismantling the... it because football's literally going home, right? Yes. <laughs> and, right. and, um, and Blankety, actually, <laughs> going away. Blankety Blank is coming in next, um, in these studios. So, um, that's quite exciting. Um, yeah. But while, while the Euros were, while the ITV football team was still here, uh, we'd occasionally meet Roy Keane, right? So he'd get out of a car because we, we, uh, we'd been playing. Did you play it in Ireland as well? Like, um, I think it's called handball or downball or something in the... Well, there's, there's handball down the thing in an alleyway. And Exa- you, exactly you, you that. Ba- exactly you battle against a wall with your hands. Exactly yeah, 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 that. Yeah. So yeah. we've got, we got, David and I yeah. and Pete Kenny have got quite obsessed with that. I've done my back in now, so I can't play it because I'm old. Um, but yes. but we, were, we were busily playing handball one day or downball, whatever you want to call it. And Roy Keane pulled up in his Range Rover, got out, praised us to the hilt for playing the game, warned us that we might pick up an injury because in his words, you're not the youngest anymore. Um, but then I had a little bit of a chat with him the following morning over breakfast and, and Dara, he said, because he then asked me how the Tour de France was going. And I said, like, I looked at him kind of like gobsmacked with my jaw hanging open as if you know you or know. care, you know. And he said, he said, absolutely, I care. He said, you can't be of my generation and growing up in Ireland yeah, without absolutely. without being invested in it because of Roach and Kelly and the rest. Roach and Kelly. The, uh, there was a, um, yeah, we all fell in love with the tour in the mid-80s. So it was even amusing to us in Ireland where when Britain suddenly discovered cycling in 2011 or 2012, <laughs> you know, that, yeah, that moment yeah. where, because we all had that with them, um, uh, with Roach in 87. Uh, and then Kelly basically dotted his way through the 80s as well for the, for, for all that. So we were huge. In fact, we had Kimmage as well, Kimmage and Early. Yeah. So we had the four of them on, on the, on the tour at that stage. And then that golden year. Um, where Roach, Roach went everything. They, uh, so it was, uh, um, yeah, no, so we, we totally got into it and I have had this residual faith. I mean, I can name Irish comedians who you should have on this, who, like this guy called David O'Doherty, who's yeah. a great comedian, who has 13 bikes in his house, wow. obsessively collects uh, old, like, uh, racing bikes from that area, you know, the, uh, so it's, it's, it sort of became a big deal. And then, it's so a, I saw the tour go past my house in, I'm trying to remember what year it was. I think it would have been the 90s. Uh, it went, it's, it, it, it rolled out in Ireland. Um, and you're saying about, oh, there must have been lovely to have a picnic. The thing goes past fast. I don't have ever had the pleasure of being just a, a spectator. It's, it is a terrible spectator sport. Uh, it's cause it's just, we all line up going, this is amazing. And then, thump, and they were gone, like at 60 miles an hour, yeah. just past us, like the, uh, and we were on a downward slope in the town I was in, like the, uh, and it was like, oh, hey, well, there we go. <laughs> and then the cars up went fast. And that was, yeah. that was it. Yeah. So, uh, that, yeah. That's amazing. So I, I don't, I haven't really thought about it like that because, as you said, because of this this new wave of British cycling began a decade ago, yeah, yeah. and we forget that there's a whole generation of children that that will influence, kind of probably for quite a long time, even if they don't get into it. Because that was a 1980s, so you were you were a, a, a teenager, early teenager. Yeah. So, so, and yet even at that age, it's then been this kind of and this going back to what you were saying about the race going by, it becomes a cultural phenomenon. Yeah. Because it's not necessarily the race. So most of the people that go to watch the race in France, and this is the big difference between the Anglo-Saxon viewing experience of it flying yeah. by. 
for in France, it's a day off if it's coming yeah. near. Right. Okay. And yeah, it's yeah. a sort of a local, a local oh, public holiday. D- d- David, not David. even that. You know, yeah. ASO have done their own market research, yeah. and they have literally discovered that a, a small but significant majority if you like, of people who go to the side of the roads to watch the Tour de France are there for the publicity caravan. And when it has passed through, they go back indoors. <laughs> it's just, it's something yeah, completely that, other. It really is, you know. That's, that's, this, this is a, a question I have for you, Dara, because I think it's, it's a cult sport in many ways, mm. I guess, even though it was hugely popular in the 80s yeah. and it's quite iconic. And yet it attracts a certain type of person and it's, we were very surprised when we found out you were into cycling because we don't expect people. We just don't expect people. And to Alexi, like <laughs> Alexi Sale as well, passionately. That is actually, yeah. I, you, look, it's, it's one of those um, sort of a, a random drop in the, you know, I, I had somebody, mm, uh, butterfly said, yeah, go in the, go in the chat and chat to him because uh, you're also into this other hobby that disguised it out. You're also into astrophotography and so am I. Could you make some sort of comment so we can join that Venn diagram of really obscure yeah. things that people like? <laughs> yeah. The, yeah, it, yeah, it does. It is. Yeah. I mean, I know the people who, who don't see it. I know that there's a lot of people who mm. just don't see, who get basically the gist of you're cycling faster than somebody else, but don't see yeah. the layers of it, don't see the, the team operation, don't see them, all that, all that sort of stuff, like whatever. It just seems to be, I think my wife glances over my shoulder every so often. This is, it's just people cycling. I don't get why this is a thing. They, and I'm going, no, but you don't understand. They're at the front now and like, they weren't earlier. Yeah. So, yeah. But it is, I think it just, it's, ir- I mean, I had a very good, I mean, that summer I was 14, 15, like, so the, uh, but immediately, mm-hmm. uh, Ireland has a problem in terms of uh, sport that, that we uh, are a tiny country with too many sports and uh, most mm. of the energy, mine in particular, where it goes to these, goes to these domestic sports, uh, hurling and Gaelic football that never kind of break out. They, uh, and I, I mean, for example, there was an argument on Twitter today going, uh, or the other day going, Croatia is the same population of Ireland. And yet, why don't we produce the same number of top quality footballers? And they said, well, they don't have a good hurling team. For, for the reason. <laughs> they, uh, so, you know, or rugby for that matter. So we seem to take on really too much stuff. Yeah. Uh, but also we have that weird thing that every so often, a sport will hit, whether it's Olympian will appear or a, um, just, we get the random freak, genetic freak of, of stuff, something happening, the, uh, and then we'll, we'll all double down on that in a huge way. And I'm never sure. Yeah. And, and it's an interesting thing to what extent that brings another generation through or when the, when you measure that, what the effect of that was in 10 years later or 15 years later, uh, mm. it does, does this always, cause it doesn't seem to always lead to, there are not a lot of British tennis players now post Andy Murray. There aren't a lot of, you know, mm. um, there, there wasn't another great cycling generation after that one in the eighties in Ireland, like whatever. Although loads of people went mm. out on bikes and they yelled, you know, mm. milk road. So I'm never sure how much that actually shifts things, They're, shifts the dial yeah. on, on uh, people's activity. I mean, it certainly caused They're, me to strip a bike of all mudguards and everything and try to turn it into a racing bike in the absence of having the money to buy a lighter bike. <laughs> I remember taking everything off a bike I had, um, and trying to turn it into a bike yeah, and then going off into the Wicklow Mountains to cycle. But the, uh, but, Obviously, I didn't become a professional cyclist. So, Dara, who who do you like? You know, so so you know, your, your your history with the race goes back much further than mine. I was only introduced to it when I started to work on it in two thousand and three, and I've been playing kind of catch up ever since, trying to kind of recreate the past 
association with the sport that I never had. So I'm slightly jealous of yeah. people who kind of go back much further than me. And um, but but fast forwarding to the present day, like you've been following this edition of the race. Who are the who are the riders you are drawn to instinctively in this generation? Who do you like? Who do you admire? And, and why would that be? Well, look, I, I remember. I think I remember posting the, the first week was so exciting, and then we thought, oh, this could be really this could be a cla- in, like an exciting in a bad way because there were crashes, obviously, yeah. on day two, two or three, the, uh, and it seemed to scatter everything, and suddenly it seemed like we could have. So it's it's sort of because, and I will mispronounce the name repeatedly. Pogashkar, is that the Pogashkar? Yeah, very close. Pogacha, Yeah, no, I mean, yeah. I'm getting that wrong the entire time today. Pogacha is so much better. It's sort of taken some of the the fun out of the thing. I'm like an Alaphilippe <laughs> a lot. Like, yeah, we, who is yeah. it? I mean, we all love Alaphilippe. Yeah, just, I, I'm yeah. known for probably probably expect, what I've never fully got together is how do you measure the most combative rider. Um, what's the algorithm for that? Is that a, you know what they did? So they did before. So on the day, it's quite the discretions of the, the commissaire. Right. I think that they have a committee that does it, but I think Ned will probably know this. The total, the person who gets it in Paris, I'm not sure if this is still the rules, the rider who spent the most time in front of the Peloton. Okay. That makes sense. Okay. Breakaways. Yeah. But I'm not sure if that is that still. No, the I think case it's all. Um, I think it's all a jury, David, and it's a really complicated jury because they've they've, they've managed now. to monetize it somehow. So there's kind of like online oh, okay, polls, okay. and if you phone a certain number, you can vote and all this sort of thing. So it's rather che- it's rather cheap and commercial. See, Dara, I don't yeah, even know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's cycling. So let me just show you here because I'm sitting at my commentary desk. Right, these are these are the results of the first 18 stages of the Tour de France. Okay, that's a pretty thick wad of paper you've got I mean, there. So, so it's kind of unlike any other sports, isn't it? So yesterday, you know, the match... So if a football match were, were to finish, it finishes 2-1. Here are your goal scorers, yeah. and there was a sending off in the 73rd minute. There are your stats, right? That's just yesterday's... That's that's yesterday's stage. You know, it's a book. And yes. and it all matters, because there, there might be some tiny little detail that at first seems to be of deep irrelevance that will suddenly explain an odd tactic by a minor team that at first seems incomprehensible. And then you'll, right, okay. you'll spend five or 10 minutes going, why did that happen? And then so occasionally David and I will have these little um, sort of uh, sudden moments of enlightenment where we go, ah, got it, got it. And we'll slap each other on the back and go, that's because the, the team's classification or something like that. Yeah. Right, you know, okay. But it, yeah, yeah. it might matter for that individual rider or for that team. But in the grand scheme of things, nobody cares. And yet it can change the dynamic of the race, you know. Right, okay. Because uh, there, was, there was a moment, yeah. the, the internal etiquette also has always intrigued me. The, the hierarchies, the, um, I mean, I suppose if you're watching it during the era of, you know, Armstrong when he ran the place, Eno when they ran the place, you know, when they were that, that kind of thing. But I, I, there was yeah. a moment, uh, a tiny moment at Thunder Ones years ago, this when Roach is still cycling, where Roach cycled up to some young cyclist who had been allowed to go forward because it went through his town. Yep. So he was allowed belt mm-hmm. forward and then cycle through the town and take the glory for it. And then Roach cycled mm-hmm. up to him and said, no, you've had your five minutes. Now fuck off back to the peloton. <laughs> and he yeah. had to go back into the peloton again. Like the, uh, yeah. Uh, and yeah. So little things like that, that it has its own uh, hierarchy. I was very mm-hmm. impressed by um, Merckx's quote uh, after um, Cavendish. And that is a fantastic story of Cavendish. Uh, and, and just the technical brilliance of that. Like the, but the, the Merckx quote saying, uh, yeah, well, I won them this way, this way, this 
way and this way, like whatever. And you're going, yeah. Jesus, Lance. It's a bit like, it's like, let it go. Yeah, and let like, it go, Eno, Eddie. Eno gets ang- still gets angry about people selling replica yellow jerseys, going that no one should be allowed to wear yeah. the yellow jersey except people who have actually won the yellow jersey. And that is, to be still, <laughs> to be still the badger about yeah. that, like to be still that yeah. dogmatic about that stuff. But, but Dara, that's the interesting thing because the, they're the characters. That's why they won so much. Of course. It meant yeah. so much to them. And we're seeing it happening Pog, with Pogacar. Pog is cut from the same cloth. Oh, is because he? he's yeah. a, he he's, yeah. a 20, he's a he's a twenty two year old kid, and but he won the Tour de France last year. He goes into every race to win, but and he's always done that with a certain gentillesse and talent. But at the first time we're seeing at this Tour de France, he's not taking any crap. <laughs> yeah. And and he's even to Ineos Grenadiers, who have been a dominant team in their former guise as Team Sky yeah. for a decade. It's almost like he's got a vendetta against. I think he's he's embarrassing them at the moment. Yeah, they ha- they, they, and they really have. It hasn't been it hasn't been a great tour yeah. right now. And they're brief, they're briefly mm. at the front today for a while, or yeah. they were they were mm. pushing mm. it. But there's been. I mean, but what's their focus? Yeah, even? I don't know. What I the, don't think they know. I don't think they know. Yeah, I don't think. But it's a transition. There's a yeah. There's a transition period. I think they've had a decade at the top. It's very hard to go longer than a decade. Yeah. In okay, fine. Well, that's a bit like yeah. you know they say about, about, about football management as well, like whatever. At some point, it moves on. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then you're left mm. being Jose Mourinho playing really, yeah. you know, making triangles and spurs. You remember that Merck's quote about Cavendish? Do you know what that reminded me of? I was working. I started off in in telly, sports telly, about twenty twenty something years ago. And the first show I worked on was Soccer Saturday with Jeff Stelling. And back in the day, where George Best was one of our was one of our pundits, you know, oh, sitting yes. in the yeah, story yeah, yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. In, and George was asked on that show about David Beckham, who was in his pomp or just coming into his best years at that time. And Best took a long pause and then said, "Well." And I can't remember the exact quote, but it was something like, he doesn't score enough goals. He can't beat a man. He can't tackle and he's got no pace. But apart from that, he's great, you know. Uh, <laughs> and that was, that was Merck's putting away Cavendish, basically, you know. Yeah. Look, we, we think all young comics are terrible. Uh, we think they, <laughs> 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 it, esteem only rises upwards in age and never goes down. Yeah. The, uh, it is very, you know, the, but, and, and Kino, for example, is a great, you know, Roy Keane yeah. is, is a great one for maintaining that level of how dare they do selfies. Yeah. <laughs> They've only won this, <laughs> a European championship or whatever. They, uh, just that dogged, like, yeah, yeah. this is the only way it can be. Yeah. Uh, cause it's the, that, yeah. That was an interesting just to so just like to cross reference it. So when we were talking to Alexi Sale, he said one of the things he loved about pro cycling and professional cycling was the fact that he could relate slightly to it. The kind of the, the, the working class battle up, right? Kind of make it up and then disappear. It, he said it felt very much like what it's being like for him in, and the world of being a comedian. Right. It's no one sees the kind of the battle through and where you come from. And he's got a certain resentment to modern comedians. Just what you're saying. He's also, well, that'll be me, by the way. He's, uh, yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Alexi's also got a burning resentment for the fact that he can't make podcasting pay. <laughs> Look, Which I think that, we can all share. That is a trick that no one has, has quite worked out that one. I'm not, I'm not waiting for the check here. Yeah. Well, there is, a th- like, for example, you don't, see, you don't see the first 120 kilometers of the stage. Like, whatever i suppose there is that obvious metaphor for it yeah. and that for uh, up until embarrassingly recently i didn't know it was a rolling start because you never see mm, yeah. um then again as a kid That's i didn't knew point. the football matches tipped off after a goal in the center circle until i went and played a football match because the highlights would never show why would you show that 
it, it would just, you know, the goal. Yeah. It, it, would, it just happened. Uh, yeah, it just happened, and then the play, play had resumed. It's so like that weird actually, thing. Oh, oh, do we do we all go back to each other's side? And, oh, I didn't know. <laughs> that. Yeah, it, it's so weird. <laughs> uh, really, I remember the first football match that my dad took me to. I was about twelve, and he was a Chelsea fan. I went to Stamford Bridge. And the, my first and abiding impression was I watched the match and I couldn't believe what it was like to watch with no commentary. It just, what, yeah. how does this work? There's no commentator. <laughs> well, <laughs> like, equally, if you're in the um, uh, stadium in Mexico City in 1970 when Brazil played Italy, yeah. it wasn't a surprise that Carlos Alberto ran in from the side to score that fourth goal. It's When you're watching it on television, the ball gets laid into nothing and then suddenly he appears stage left uh, <laughs> yes, and yes. comes the ball into the corner. Like whatever. But obviously when you're there, you can see the runs being made and stuff like that. Yeah. I, it all, again, first time I got a season ticket at Arsenal, it was about 15 years ago now, it was like that, you know, where it went from small screen to, oh, right, now I can see. I can see what a defensive midfielder is doing. Like, yeah. it's grand. That yeah. wider view uh, of, of the whole thing. Yeah. Do you it, know, it, it sometimes you do. Wenger w- w- was a secret, to, well, a secret Tour de France fan on the sly and would from time to time be seen riding his bike around Richmond Park. Really? Uh, and, and, and Arsene, when, I mean, I used to work in football there for years and years and years. Arsene was a, a, a manager who I interviewed, you know, week in, week out, really, on the Champions League beat and all that sort of thing. And he's incredibly professional, never cozied up to any journalists, never used our first names, even though he knew us all very well, because he kept a, a professional and neutral distance to us all. But the one time he slightly dropped his guard with me, and I think it was the last time I ever saw him, actually. There was one, the last international football tournament I ever covered in 2012, where I was actually following the Irish team around and the Euro. In, in Poland and, and Ukraine. Oh, it's very yeah, unsuccessful, okay, unfortunately, so yeah. I won't dwell on that. But yeah. um, I, I bumped into him in Warsaw just before my flight back and uh, it was the only time he's ever used my first name because he was off duty, you know? And right. the last thing he said to me was, um, and this, bear in mind, was June 2012. He said, so will Wiggins win the tour? Like that. <laughs> And uh, with that, and I said, I, I think he probably will. And that was almost the last thing I said to Arsene Wenger. So he just, he kept an eye on the race. And he's another one of those people who's just these, the secret Tour de France fans who we, who we, I, we yeah. do you know the thought of, as we go around our private velodrome that is Richmond, because I live about a few miles away from there, yeah, whatever, yeah. and um, you say Richmond Park, and I sense 7.1 miles. That is the yeah. <laughs> circuit of Richmond Park. Like, whatever. Presumably you don't cut across the ballet school to, to get the, the shortcut home. Which is the <laughs> David, way, don't you, know. you have the record of, um, Richmond Park. I used to in the early days really? until everyone started I, about a decade ago, 2011, actually, I, I set the record, but then everyone started getting science and training and some random, I actually think somebody beat me then got done for doping or something. <laughs> what, in Richmond Park? That's a beautiful irony. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I did 16 minutes, oh, Jesus 20 Christ, really? seconds. Uh, which which, which way around? Dara, Dara, I'll be, yeah. so you know where the cafe is, you know, the gates, there's a cafe. Yeah, yeah, Roehampton, yeah, yeah. Roehampton Gates, yeah. yeah. So I, I guess I then did it. The I went back towards the gate. Did all left turns. All left turns. Oh yeah, that so, makes sense. Yeah, okay, fine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I oh, was but just to, to put it in, <laughs> yeah. But to put it in perspective, I'd won the final time trial the Giro the week before the Sunday, <laughs> and then I'd been off for five days. But I turned up there with my full time trial bike, speed suit. Okay, fair enough. And okay. so I was fully, and I did it. At, 6.45 before the gates were open so I didn't get arrested. Okay, because you were yeah, exceeding yeah. the 20 mile per hour speed limit and uh, I got a letter I got a letter from the parks authority <laughs> and had to uh, apologise and everything. Really? 
That's yep. fact. I, like I literally only drove to it today, yeah. going to bring a, my daughter to a yeah. dental appointment. So I'm, I'm, it's <laughs> that same inching along yeah. as people go along. But I mean, yeah. look, it's it's great, but it, it just at the weekends becomes this yeah. ludicrous collection of elbows. And, it's like a ski resort. Yeah, it's very yeah, it yeah. is, yeah. and it's very kind yeah. of like yeah. uh, they're they're good yeah. times to pop it. And look, it's 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 an amazing course to have, but the uh, uh, just the thing. But there's a good times and bad times to be there. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, Dada, we'll have to go for a ride one day. I, look, do you know because, what? I received the offer once from. Um, Chris Hoy, he said, you must come to the velodrome. I said, I told him, we were at a thing and, uh, uh, oh yeah, this, sorry, I went, I went around thing. Yes, by the way, I'd love to. I'd absolutely love to. The, uh, but, yeah. uh, but you will have to, you know, not go in the full Don't worry. Uh, skin suit and all thing. But the, uh, but I did one and I did, and I did, I did a second lap of it or I did a little bit more than I was going to do and then I had to get back home. So I went five, ten miles more than I expected to do. And, mm-hmm. um, when I got back home, I was going into, of all things, like I think it was the Alan Partridge film. I was going in to see that in cinema and I'm sitting in cinema and Perfect. Hoy comes in. It is Hoy. I always mix Hoy and Foy, but it's Hoy. It's Hoy. Um, yeah, Hoy, Hoy yeah. comes in with his missus. Lovely man. She's a sweetheart. And he says, oh, hello, how are you? And I said, honestly, I'm in bits. I've got loads of lactic acid in my thighs because I went to a rich and And I started this conversation. And her face, the look of, Jesus, another middle-aged man trying to talk to my husband about cycling. And then we had this, later on, we had a, a thing. And I actually sent him a tweet later to apologize for, I cannot believe that I spoke to you about cycling. And he said, yeah. I was that guy. Yeah, I said, maybe, yeah, maybe I should try, maybe I should try telling a joke just to step up to your turf as well but yeah. oh brilliant so I I've yeah I've, I've pulled back from doing that like whatever but uh, he he said yeah you must come do the velodrome but I presume on, on me and a velodrome would look just incredible would just look static uh, on a velodrome it would look ridiculous it's quite yes it's just oh, it's fun it's daunting it's really good fun we'll do we'll do a Richmond yeah. Park fine that probably seems like a same more sensible we'll do that we'll do that listen we've kept you for, 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 for long enough good luck with the, the the knee recuperation business process yeah look you the know? main thing is is that uh, it, I, there's a there's a bike on a, on a stationary thing um, two rooms down from here like whatever and I now have this rift music so buried oh, in my head that I <laughs> That oh. I cannot because eight commercial breaks, and even though you say it's the last one, it's like nah, nah. But that one is. But, it, anyway, it, but it's like subliminal that you'll come out of and go. You know what? I fancy it. It's fun. It's fun. It's fast. Um, the, uh, for many, well, either that or I find that or oh, isn't it really sad when pets get abandoned uh, and you have to give money to, to bet like it's one or the other? I wonder how much a cremation costs these days. It's about four thousand. It, it is a weird, the weird collection of, of very you've inherited other people's advertising uh, yeah. in, in that slot. The, uh, but the uh, for years, and I think I may have said this to you before now. For years, when I was out in the road. I used to hum the um the old the Pete Shelley highlights the Pete Shelley music. music, yeah. Yeah. Brown now 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 down now now because it's it's rhythm is the same as my cadence. Yeah. Thereabouts. Yeah, yeah. And then I would just go brown now 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 and that used to get me to miles of cycling. So uh yeah, I'm not sure the Zwift will work quite as well. But uh but that that tune is well, is, is will be forever the cycling day, the Pavlov response of my legs rotating uh, for that. Gentlemen, it's been an absolute delight. Well D- Dara, thank you very much. I think one thing we've proven is that fun is not necessarily fast. We've It's not, <laughs> it's, it's not, not I make fun slow. <laughs> I really brought fun to a complete halt, like, so don't believe the hype. Yeah, yeah. so the, yeah, I know we pinned yeah. you into a Twitter corner by a call to arms, get Dara on the pod, but you've really risen to the task, Dara. Almost oh, immediately. No, it's an absolute delight. That's, it's a very much delight to, to slightly nerd, nerd out on this thing. Oh, the, uh, um, and look, at this, as, as we speak, there's only a couple of days. Is tomorrow, is it fairly flat tomorrow? 
Cavendish history uh, day, isn't it? Cavendish Cav- history Cav- day. One. We think it's yeah. a Cav one. Break the record. Yikes. And then, obviously, and then, and then time, time tells what it is, like yep. whatever, and then yep. Champs-Élysées. So, yeah, I mean, that's, yeah. that's incredible. Yeah. Thank God for Mark Cavendish. I've never been more excited about his film. I'll still watch all the build-up to it. Because it's like, yeah. people say to me, for years, they're saying, on, on, oh, you got to watch Breaking Bad. And I said, no, I'm not really enjoying it. Oh, no, you got to stick with it. you got to stick with it. This is, you are the ultimate of that. Breaking like, Bad. Is, no, you got to watch it. You've got to watch it all four hours of it. Because at the end, it's unbelievably tense. Brilliant. So, yeah, that's it. Breaking <laughs> Cav. I love it. All all right, Dara. Yeah. Thank, Good luck. Thanks bye very bye. much. Cheers, Dara. See you. Bye-bye. What a nice man, David. Oh, he was just amazing. It's, it's kind of, you kind of forget with comedians um, of that caliber, just their conversational skill. I know. It's just amazing. And well, he, him in particular. Although the weird thing was, he, he was so, he's such a super schlug. He's super he, that he, wanted, he just wanted to talk to you. It, it, turned, it turned into a David Miller interview. <laughs> it did almost. Dara, Dara interviews David. Uh, yeah, was, I really enjoyed it. It was good I mean, fun. It was, uh, yeah. So another one of these. Well, but this is what we've spoken about as well is, yeah. and especially with the, the ITV kind of show, um, it's got a real kind of, it's got a big following because it's got probably, so it's got good figures for the amount of people watch Re- it. Yeah, really good ratings. Yeah, really good ratings. And, but it's a, it's a really interesting group of people that watch it. I think, I don't know whether this is true, but the sense I get from feedback that y- you guys give me a year in, year out, which is lovely, by the way, we get such supportive messages. But I, I get a sense that unlike almost any other sport I can think of, lots of women yeah. watch the men's Tour de France. Yeah, it's true. And enjoy it and not, and then knowledgeable and um, engaged and yeah, big, big sort of big fans of the sport and i think that's great i think it's fantastic yeah yeah so who knows who else is going to come out the proverbial woodwork and end up on never strays far in the future well gary kemp's got a new album out. let's get gary on we'll get gary on that'd yeah. be good wouldn't it i love gary he's great so get, get gary is that the next get gary hashtag get gary oh we should definitely get gary okay we can manage that i'm sure um Looks like Hollingbourne are digging in here. They're beginning to cut loose, actually. He's been quite expressive, that uh, batsman who's now facing the fast uh, bowler from the White Horse. He's got a, a swagger, hasn't he? Yeah. And yeah. I think he's just playing himself in now. His eyes, his eyes are in and he's That's beginning it. to spray the shots around. He's just uh, cut it down to deep, fine leg. And uh, also just um, p- p- pull, pulled it to square leg. Pulled it. Mm-hmm. Uh, or cut it, maybe out slice. You know, just see this delivery now, right arm over the wicket. And... Oh, now he was beaten there, wasn't he? Just yeah, that was of a of a line and and of a of a length at uh, that delivery, and it's um well that's over now, and uh, yeah, just a little warning shot at the end of that over. The bowler is clearly riled. Just don't know his name, that's all, or indeed which team is batting, and which I don't even know which other team is playing, and I don't actually know if that's Bearsford CC or not. Really, that's some that's um, my special gold there, Ned. Yeah, um. Dream analysis. Oh, this is very good. So you remember the dream, which was all about me... Going looking for my pink mink. Pink mink jumper. Yeah. Right, where you'd left a cable and you were sort of blaming me for having worn the the pink mink jumper the day before, Mm. and I kind of denied it. Anyway, me and Pete rushed off to see if we could locate the jumper and the cable and couldn't find it. And this was all right, hard up against being on air, and I just got back before it was too late, yeah? That was the essence of the dream. Um... But we'd both forgotten what the dream was. So when we when we recorded the last podcast, um, we pre- 
well, we didn't even pretend. We actually couldn't hear the, the, the dream. Hang on. He's gone. He's gone, David. It was leg before wicket. And um, from where I'm standing, where I'm sitting, commentating, it looked absolutely stone cold out to me. That was no way that wasn't going to go straight through to middle stump and take the bales off. So, well, that's a bit of a blow for probably Hollingbourne Cricket Club. Uh, they were just beginning to hit their straps there. And uh, now they're going to have to rebuild the next partnership. Um, uh, dream analysis. So, um, in the end, it was now a gentleman called either Francis Martin or Martin Francis. Ooh, His email address, work. well, it, it popped up as Francis Martin, but I don't know, sometimes email addresses are back to front, aren't they? Like Miller David or something. True. So, either Francis Martin or Martin Francis uh, sent us this rather humbling dream analysis, at least from my perspective. I think the pinkness and minkness of this evidently quite fashionable jumper, combined with the fact that it belongs to David, who is accusing Ned of having purloined it, uh, and Ned, despite thinking he hasn't, feels that it's possible that he might have done. He's not quite sure, and he still feels guilty about it. I think this all reflects a certain insecurity that Ned has in his relationship with David, both professionally in a fear that David might come to surpass him as a commentator, and also personally in the fact that David is clearly a a very stylish man. Um, And when we look at Pete's role in the dream, I think this becomes even clearer. Pete, though he seems to be so helpful, so ebullient, he easily catches up with Ned as he runs down the hill. And yes, he's cooperative and helpful, but Ned can't escape the knowledge that he is physically superior to him. And this perhaps reflects a certain degree of insecurity Ned has in the fact that every day he's he's competing with these two men he's playing down ball with them he's racing them home on his bicycle and yet he knows at heart that he can't compete with them they're both younger than him they're both former professional athletes if they wanted to beat him in a bike race home they could and this ultimately prevents Ned from fully connecting with his two colleagues. And that's illustrated by the fact that at the end of the dream, Ned still can't find this cable, the cable that is crucial for connecting everything together. Um, I don't know if I can fully go on board uh, along with that, really. Um, I, d- I thought it was. I mean, I, I I did think it was a very good analysis. I mean, I, I I'm sure you it, did. It seems strange that we're you're going backwards now, Ned. You yeah, I mean now I think the fatigue's kicking in because you're doing a great job of this Tour de France. Oh, th- thanks very much. But you're even welcome. that, I'm finding slightly undermining. It's like a soft-handed compliment. Uh, you know, that's that's just your the funda- very fact that you feel that's you your fundamental to, insecurity. But the very fact that you feel you have to say you're doing a great job in this. Well, you're tour doing a great job, Ned. What? Okay, thanks. <laughs> but he has tapped into this nerve that, about your commentary ability. That's the continuing thing. It's not just imposter syndrome. It's the fact that I might be being replaced. 
<laughs> anyway, I don't want to have any more dreams. <laughs> for <a> ever. Ever. <laughs> ever, 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 ever. Um, uh, which leads us on to our final little pre-recorded item. Now, what we're going to do, we're going to run this and then, um, then we're going to go and commentate, right? Yes. And then as soon as the race is finished, we'll give a little kind of reaction and a thank you and a goodbye, won't we, at the end of the show. A farewell to our dear Never Strays France listeners. But um, but this morning, or just just now, actually, about half an hour ago, you you had a just explain. You had a little bit of a chat with Pete. A little chat. We sat on a bench just behind where we are now because we're now sitting on the grass. Pretty um, podcast, Pete. Pretty podcast, Pete. Sweet little Pete. Um, uh, just talking about his his little hobby, if you like. So it is he he's learning how to make music, and and I thought it was really interesting to talk to him about it because he doesn't like people. Well, he's he's quite shy about it. Oh, you um, really needed to work on him, actually. It's been yeah. quite a three-day mission, hasn't it? It has so been a three-day mission. It's going to persuade him it. to talk about it because he's very reluctant to talk yeah. about it. And at the end of it, we you cracked him. him. <laughs> I cracked him, just just wore him down as usual. And, uh, but uh, at the end of it, we he did a little remix, um, produced a little track around our, our Maidstone Studios, Bearstead, Marriott race. Amazing. It's amazing. It is really good. Nonsense we've talked about in the years, I think it will get away with it. But basically, we're going to kind of narrate the almost completely unremarkable commute that we have back back from our studios in Maidstone to our hotel that we're staying at. What, what do you think the distance is, Pete? Two and a half. Okay. Feels like 20 every day, doesn't it? I mean, we've got so many obstacles along the way. By being a car, I mean, get off your bike, put it sideways, almost bash your bike down twice, really hard on the big sensor, and then after that, drag it back towards yourself, almost creating like a tyre-like pressure on the sensor. Sitting on a park bench in Bearstead and it's really lovely isn't it Pete well this is our place of I don't know what, what, what how do you even explain this place we come here to it's, it's a waypoint between the studio and our hotel isn't it and it's where we I suppose contemplate the day we've just done in the studio talking about the race continue to talk about the race some more and then talk about some other things I know we're super geeky yeah. um <clears throat> One of the other things is your, um, I guess it's kind of, it's not really secret because you played, you DJed at, um, the Harrogate Zwift event 
And that was the first time I heard you play, and I was like, geez, Pete's really good. But then you don't just do that, you produce music as well, don't you? Yeah, so I wouldn't say it's a secret in terms of DJing. I mean, it's been on my Instagram before. Uh, just love it. Love since I was, I'd probably say, 13, when I first got a set of turntables, vinyl turntables and a mixer, quite, all quite cheap. And anyone who's ever DJed on cheap turntables before will know it's almost impossible to beat match <laughs> just because of the quality of the turntable doesn't keep it going at the same beats per minute, basically. Um, so that was a challenge. <laughs> I was like, I can't do this, why? And then I got some CD some CD decks, which were then a lot a lot easier in terms of you, you they read the beats per minute and you had it on the screen. So so this you still had to beat match, but there was there's a lot more help to put it in a simple way, you know. With vinyls you have to really listen listen for it and you've got the tempo on the side, but you kind of just it's it's all by you and trying to figure out by through trial and error a little bit. Um and then yeah, the the production came well, it started when I was, I was like, okay, I love, I love this type of music. I want to be able to produce it. And then also, it's changed now where big DJs used to get gigs just by being DJs, where now it's, you have to produce a hit track, basically, in order to get a gig. So I was 21, and from my 21st birthday off my mum and dad, I got a MIDI keyboard and Logic Pro, it's called. And I opened opened the opened my laptop up. <laughs> had this keyboard that I had no idea how to play or I'd do anything with. Opened my laptop up, downloaded the software, and I was like, "Oh my god!" It was like trying to figure out how to put a spaceship on the moon, you know. <laughs> and I was still cycling at the time. I just didn't have the the brain capacity or kind of I don't know commitment dedication to learn it. And what is it with music that kind of um? That means so much to you. What was what part does it play in your life? Uh, all types of music. I mean, it's not just house music, which is what I'm trying to produce at the minute. It's, I guess, it's a form of ex- escapism at the highest. You know, you hear that all the time, but it really is for me. It's it's a place I kind of go to where I don't think about anything else. You know, my worries are gone. Whether it's you know family concerns or professional concerns, cycling, um, even yeah, just day to day life, just, it just doesn't matter for that those two to three hours where I'm kind of trying to learn how to produce music, and it got to a point where I was kind of getting annoyed that I couldn't do it. So then my new year, New Year's resolution this year was okay. I'm going to figure figure this out and learn the software, and I've I'd say progressively got better. I've probably done two to three hours every night um since then uh so it's it's, it's funny it's, with lauren actually at home because we get the bit we get the kids we have our dinner put the kids to bed and then it's it's around seven thirty, and she goes see you then <laughs> <laughs> because we've been together so long it's yeah. you know it's, it's just our routine and it's fine then we go upstairs and maybe watch watch a documentary or a series we're into on Netflix and then go to bed and it's fine. But, you know, if it was the start of the relationship, it'd be like, absolutely no chance. Like, where are you going? You know? <laughs> so it's quite, a, it's quite a funny ongoing joke that, that me and Lauren have at the minute as well. And is, is anybody teaching you or are you doing it all on your own? Yeah, so the, the difference between now and when I was 21 is the amount of tutorials that are, that are just free on YouTube. But there's so many out there. 
it's hard to get it's hard to get your head around and they all teach you in a different way i've, I've done a few the, through lockdown there was master classes that djs and professional producers themselves were putting on where it was basically a zoom session of them explaining how breaking down exactly how they made a track which was great help so i did one of them and then it's just it's just a constant evolving learning process and then also you've got the the, the main the main thing is learning the software inside out and then then after you've done that then because you can be as creative as you want but if you can't use the software then you can't make you can't produce house music basically then once you learn the software then you're like okay these guys really are creative you know it's it's a lot more than just understanding how how the production software works and then you can make you can make you know it's quite easy to go and make a eight bar 16 bar drum loop on ableton but then it's like okay the, the complication the creativity side comes from okay where'd you go then and and with it you because we've spoken about this because i've heard some of it and it is really good and yet you like the keeping it private which yeah. is i'm talking about the, the evolution of kind of where i'm at with learning how to produce you constantly through that process start to understand and hear music differently so you go from just hearing a track and you just hear music to you you, you've kind of taken apart oh that bass line's nice or those hats don't really work with the drums or whatever and so for me i'm at that phase now where i feel like my production level is okay but i understand where it needs to be and that's where i'm kind of you know for me it's i don't really want to stop putting stuff out there when i know it, it needs to be a lot better in order to stop putting it on soundcloud and, and stuff and stuff like that so you've got the music and then tell us a bit about surpass oh yeah surpass yeah well surpass is i'd say an ongoing project for two years probably two years now it's just taken so long to get the brandon right that we want and a lot more for me anyway goes into a company um before launching it yeah we, we want it to be you know exactly right so that's why it's taken so long and also coaching is going to be a big side of it but we want it to be a lot more broader than coaching so it's it's almost it's almost ready for launch and also from the coaching side i didn't want to do the the typical you know, ex-pro retires and then tries to make money off the back of coaching i, I felt i i wanted to learn and understand what it was to be a coach before just doing that you know and because the company wants to be a lot more than coaching that's also why it's taken so long so i've, I've been coaching a couple of guys now for uh, for about a year uh, almost a year uh luke lamperty being one of them who's recently won the us crit champs and he's only he's only 18 as well so and he won a, a stage in a belgium in belgium um can't remember what the race is called now but yeah he's he's a massive talent and and a couple of young guys at home as well who are doing really well so and i've i've just got so much back from it and learned so much about what maybe i would have liked as a rider the biggest part being the understanding and the education of why you're doing the training because so often when I was a pro, I set this training and I just couldn't get my head around it, or and it, it made it really hard to buy into to, and motivate yourself to the efforts. For example, we talked about it's kind of for training now. It seems to be everyone's doing this zone free training for two to three hours in zone free, and it's 
it's like banging your head against a brick wall, isn't it? But if you're given the information as a rider and understand the reason why it's so important, then you, you just clock in, do it, and then clock off and it's done and you buy into it, motivate yourself. Where if you just said it within half an hour, it's, you know, it's so easy to crack without knowing what, what the effect it's having on your body. So yeah, it's, it's, we're finally there with the, with the branding. Um, we want to, to, to run events as well. And also a big part of it is we want to give back to the community and run camps and school holidays, um, for, for kids on the Alamani. You know, there's so much in place at the minute with football and athletics. And I think it's, there's a big, especially with how big cycling is on the Alamani as well and what Mark Cavendish is doing at the Tour de France. I want when the kids go on half terms, have an option of going on a, on a training school or camp for however long it may be so so when it's when do you think it's going to launch it should launch we're basically waiting on kit now and to to get all the content um shot so hopefully hopefully august um my sister's played a massive role in it she previously worked for ineos for two years and she is the brains behind the business i would say I'm the face, but we don't just want me to be the face. We want it to be a lot more diverse than that. And then my brother, Tim Kenyuk, who works with Bari and Victorious, he's also going to be a big part of the of the coaching side, but without almost in the background. Yeah. So in theory, in a month or so, people will be able to go to Surpass and get coaching, and then you're building a brand around it. So it's the kind of concept. Yeah. You're, you're a Surpass rider. Yeah. You're kind of coached by you. Is it just you coaching at the moment? I'm well Tim will be coaching as well but it's yeah we want it to be almost in a sense like a hub for information as well and that's to where a lot of time and effort's going to go into the Instagram content as well you know but you, you look at coaching businesses and no disrespect to any of them at the minute in the UK and it's very they're very dated the contents it's it's not um you know, it's these are the packages, and then you either you either sign up and a coach, and that's it. There's no, there's we want to offer constant. You know, you go onto the bit, but almost like a in a way, like a bit like websites run like Cycling News, where but in a coaching kind of environment, you know. So blogs and uh, nutrition be a big part of it. We've got Mark Fell who worked for Team Sky, now works for Fulham Football Club. He's he's going to be the nutritionist, so it's it, it's all in place. We're just, it's just tying it all together yeah. um, before we feel like we are completely ready to launch. Well, um, so I guess there's not a link to go to at the moment. Just people, f- I'll put your Instagram. There's uh, there's a sign up link. It's if you just go to surpass.cc. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes. Um, the, the Instagram page is live. Okay, uh, but that's that's all. That's where we're at at the minute. Yeah. Cool. Well. We'll um, play out with, you did a, when we did a couple of weeks ago, our commute home that I commentated on, where you and Ned were racing. You then got back to the hotel, and a couple of hours later, you just fired through this, because I, rec- I obviously sent you guys the file of the commentary, and then you just mixed it all up and made something that was pretty amazing. <laughs> yeah, it was quite, <laughs> I when you mentioned the idea of doing it, I was, uh, maybe not. And then we had a, f- a few spare hours, so I just went up to the room. I was like, this could be quite fun, actually. No pressure to make a track that you necessarily are into or like, but just let's see what happens with it. And yeah, I took the, I had the, obviously, what you could call the vocal, which is 
a lot of your commentary and just joking around um with leaving the studio i stuck a, a kind of a nice evolving pad behind it and then some drums and a bassline and then the breakdown is obviously the second part of the ride which works really well for the for the, for the next drop so it's uh, it, it's it's quite it's quite a basic track but i feel like it helps tell the story Well, we'd better go to work and leave this cricket match behind us. Have you ever played cricket, by the way? I think I tried a couple of times when I was young and wasn't very good, so I stopped it immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's, that's uh, all we can tell you about cricket. <laughs> Bye. Tour de France is done, Ned. Do you know, the weather in Maidstone has just been the mirror image of France the whole way around, by yeah. and large, hasn't it? Yeah, it's been crazy, actually. It's absolutely sweltering here in the back of the truck. Baking. You've got a pair of very fetching denim shorts. Thanks. That you, that you bought from the House of Fraser. Mm. And I'm very rather envious because I've got long denim jeans on. And some, yeah. some rather teenage socks as well. <laughs> Don't care anymore. <laughs> Third week. So, yeah, so Mark didn't do it. No, it was, it was, no, but... Van Art did. I mean, it he was, was amazing. Oh, he's yeah. good, isn't he? <sighs> Mountain stage, time trial, bunch of sprint. Uh, Eno Merck's territory, isn't it? Oh, it's full on. Except, it's of course, they, they went on to win the Tour de France yeah. 10 times between them. But, um, yeah, you can't. I mean, I haven't heard a Mark Cavendish interview yet, but honestly, honestly, I know he banged his handlebars when he mm. came over the line, but you take that, wouldn't you? Green jersey, yeah. four stages? Uh, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's not bad, is it? It's not bad. Yeah. And Could he have done record. anything different in the Grand No, nah, I think just they got it's the first time they maybe got the lead out wrong. Moku could have been there and sort of they just, just got his wheel somewhere on the Rudy River. It was got a bit odd. chaotic, didn't it? And it was just but then as I said Turnison let out Wout van Aert perfectly. Yeah. So it was just We'll be interested to know what happened <clears> because <throat> he was on Moku's wheel. No, he lost Moku's wheel going into the tunnel, mm. came out on Moku's wheel again. Ran Joan of Arc and onto the mm-hmm. Rudy Rivoli. And next time we saw him, he lost it. And he was picking then, from that moment, he was picking Van Art's wheel. So something. I don't think that was a plan. I think that was. No. Mark doing, Cavendish doing what he had to do, really. Yeah. And, and yeah. he's still third. Not rubbish. Not rubbish. But yeah, it would be disappointed for sure. Not rubbish. And Taddy? Taddy, amazing. Amazing. Just amazing. Yeah. Three jerseys. Yeah. Looking very happy. Yeah calm and collected his speech was just like if he was like as if he was standing in the corner of a hotel room with a powerpoint wasn't yeah he was just super just like, chilled wasn't he yeah here's the thing about this and here's the thing yeah. about that I'm tsh, yeah. do this thank my family um, all Legend. that sort of thing so yeah. yeah so yeah that's it anyway so where do we go from here oh I just want to say something can I say something about the roadbook yes I'm, I get messages sent from Roadbook HQ, which is mm. an enormous underground bunker with hundreds mm. of people in it. Mm. They send me these corporate messages out saying, "Use this, tell people to use this code mm. and offer them this, that, and that. I just want to say, um, we make a joke about Melinda Apples and the fact that this costs us and all this sort of thing. Mm. But one of the things that, from my perspective at least, it really incentivizes us to carry on is um, the support that we've got from a lot mm. of you, you guys, who I know a lot of you buy the Roadbook, lots of you don't buy it. But it really helps us kind of... Sorry, just take my headphones off here because they're playing that music. <laughs> it really incentivizes us to um, to carry on doing it because uh, if you sign up to the Roadbook Society, which is it's just a way of us very occasionally 
sending special offers your way, which it's mm. entirely up to you whether or not mm. you take up. But every email address. So if you're doing this listening to your computer or fiddling around on your phone, just go to the Roadbook. Just what, right now, if yeah. you can, go to our roadbook.co.uk, find the society, stick your email address in there, because that means we'll carry on doing this for the foreseeable, yeah. right? And you probably feel similar Same with chapter, chapter three, three, yeah. Engagement, uh, right? Engagement. And it's Be there. click on the show notes and it'll take you through, because we did a special offer for never strays france listeners yeah and that go to click in the show notes and it'll take you there but yeah it's the same because it's, I mean, it's communication it's, it's communication yep. and we, we're launching all our chapter three garmin apparel this week as well so go and check big that week out for you i know it's a big week big week for but, you yeah and where do we go podcast wise from here do you think? i don't know well, post olympics maybe or well something? yeah we'll have to we'll have to so probably breaking news to many of you but itv are not doing the vuelta this year mm. after what five years of us doing it yeah we've lost the rights um, win one, lose one. I'm back on commentary duty at the Tour of Britain. Yeah. Um, and so maybe we'll do... A call into that. Like we did Giro style, yeah. maybe a breakfast show on the Tour of Britain. That'd be good. Yeah. Never strays... Fr- mm. Frimley? Never strays Farnborough? Don't know if you guys... No. Never strays... F- Farage? <laughs> there you go. Never strays, strays Farage. Farage. That's brilliant. I, love I it. think we've got it. That could be a good one. We'll give it some thought. We'll give it some thought. Yeah, we yeah. don't want to leap to a conclusion like we did yeah. with this one. Never stays yeah. papillon. <laughs> um, this has been a bumper edition length one. Uh, we might go quiet for a few days, but we'll be back. We'll be back. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 